You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. I love how that video ended with the fields, the harvest fields. It goes right along with what we've been talking about today. I want to say hello to all of you. Uh, here at the Mills, and those of you who are listening by podcast, I want to invite you to take out your Bibles, whether that's a device or uh, a book, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25 today. We are concluding our final fall series called Field of Vision. Let me just kind of recap where we've been the past couple weeks. The first week, we talked about seeing the potential, looking at the fields that are ripe. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. In the second week, we talked about seeing the responsibility. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And then last week, if you remember, we talked about seeing the cost. Like the Good Samaritan, are we willing to get our hands dirty and pay the price to help those in need? And then this morning, we're going to talk about seeing the result. There will be a day of reckoning for how we respond to the hurting who are in our field of vision. I also want to invite you guys to share if you've been doing this, and if not, maybe try it out on Facebook or on Twitter. If you're doing any kind of sermon quotes or anything like that uh, as part of your studies, we use the hashtag Field of Vision RCC. God is always wanting us to expand our field of vision to broaden our horizons. And as you're turning to Matthew 25 today, I just want to paint a little picture, give you a little context to this passage. So in Matthew chapter 24, we see this dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. It's a private conversation. They're regrouping outside of the gates of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives just days before he was arrested and crucified. And Jesus looks back at the magnificent temple and he predicts that it will be destroyed. And they asked him privately, tell us, when will this happen? What will the sign of your coming be in the end of the age? And Jesus talked about the signs of the end times and how horrible it will be and how no one knows the day or the hour when it will happen and how we need to be prepared for the Son of Man's return. Then here in chapter 25, it begins with two parables uh, talking about his coming return. And the first is a parable of the ten virgins. That The whole point of that story is that we must be ready for his return. Don't be left out in the cold. And the second is a parable of the talents. We must be good stewards of our time and talent and treasures and invest everything that we have, everything that we are, to grow God's kingdom so that one day we will hear those beloved words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's happiness. And then Jesus uses his metaphor of sheep and goats. And that's where we're at today. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I don't know why he uses the metaphor of sheep and goats. I mean, sheep, they're supposed to be good. Goats are supposed to be bad. I don't know why. I mean, sheeps are all right, right? Goats are all right. Actually, I don't like either, to tell you the truth. But um, I, I appreciate them, but I don't want to own any of them. How many of you uh, watch Animal Planet? Anybody? There's a show on Animal Planet we enjoy watching at our house. And it talks about these animals being so bad and ornery and everything. And the goats are always troublemakers. They jump up on people's cars. They kick their windows in, kick the roof of the car in, and eat everything in sight and ram everything in sight with the... Uh, don't they have horns, goats, don't they, right? Am I thinking of the right animal? 
Um, anyways, I guess I see maybe that's why it is. I don't have a technical answer why the sheep are good and the goats are bad, but in this parable, or in this story actually, he's talking about a day of reckoning. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Wish I had a little soundboard up here. Every time I say day of reckoning, I go dun dun dun. Because that's what the day of reckoning is. It's this ominous thing, right? It's this judgment day, this, this horrible day, right? That's what I always grew up to think. I don't know. I'll let you be the judge. We're going to continue on and you can make your own uh, estimation of what that day will be like. So, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I'll read it for you as you follow along. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, then he will sit on his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Can we bow our heads this morning? God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this word this morning. I know that it is hard language that you use here, Jesus. And I pray this morning that as we unpack this, that you would speak to our hearts. Let our ears be open. Let our hearts be open to your will. Open our eyes, I pray, Jesus, to see the hurting and the desperate among us. In your name we pray, amen. So, I didn't have the opportunity to introduce myself yet. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave Longstreth, and I'm the outreach pastor here at the church. Been here for 15 years. It's awesome. I love this place. It's good to be back up here at the mills to see some familiar faces and uh, some new faces out there. So, maybe afterwards we can get a chance to meet, get a chance to chat. Um, when I found out that I was preaching this message at first, I was like, thanks, short, the short straw was pulled, right? 
Because I like to be a comedian, I like to keep people laughing. If I could be up here and just keep you laughing the whole time, then I could walk away thinking, all right, people love me, I did a good job. But no, I gotta preach about the day of reckoning. Dun, dun, dun. But then after I got into it a little bit, I am so glad, I'm so glad that this fell to me. And uh, Pastor Bill's preaching down at Oakmont this morning and the two of us got together this past week and we studied the scripture together and we ran thoughts by each other and dug deeper. And I'm really glad because I needed to hear this message this week. Honestly, I did. And I feel like this is a message for all of us because we are humanity, right? And what happens when humanity gets in the way of what God wants to do? We mess it up. So in our lives, that's what happens. We gotta keep recalibrating ourselves to God's standard. And this morning, this is just another opportunity to do that. So in our scripture here, Jesus, he begins these instructions by telling his followers about a time of judgment that's coming in the future. I call it the day of reckoning. Some people call it judgment day. Okay, it's all, it all sounds harsh, doesn't it? This metaphor is of a time that's gonna come where he's gonna separate people into two groups, sheep and goats. All the sheep to the right, all the goats to the left. Now I learned something this week, or maybe I already knew it and I forgot, which is probably the case, but why to the left? What's the difference between the right and the left? Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with politics. The culture was much different 2,000 years ago, as you can imagine. Now, they didn't have toilet paper, so their left hand was a dirty hand, if you know what I'm saying. And people use their left hand, if they used it to shake, that would be like a smack in your face. I mean, could you imagine? Put yourself in that culture, if you would extend your left hand to somebody. How disrespectful, how shameful, how offensive that would be. And honestly, I hate to even say it, but that's why he uses this language between the right and the left. So now whenever you think the sheep are going to the right and the goats to the left, there's some significance to that. How despicable for anybody to the left because that's how they talk back then. Everything on the left was shameful and disgusting and just wrong. You don't want to be associated with, with this side over here. So he uses that on purpose. And ultimately, it means eternal separation and punishment in his text right here. So the point of what he's trying to make, first is that a day of reckoning is coming. I realize that judgment day is not fashionable these days. We don't like to talk about the idea of hell and judgment because it, it might make us appear judgmental, right? But God is the judge, and God doesn't wish anyone to perish, so he will judge justly. So then the big question is this, what is the criteria that God uses and that he will use on the day of reckoning? It's not whether you have the right answers for a theology exam or that you've memorized a certain amount of scripture. It's not that you've prayed enough, gone to church enough, asked him for forgiveness enough, gone to small group enough, sang enough songs about him. These are all well and good. They're vitally important. 
But that's not the criteria that Jesus illustrates to us here in Matthew 25. The big answer lies here in the words of Christ and when he said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to Jesus. Whatever you refused to do for the least of these, you refused to do for Jesus. Now, this was about the time of his arrest and crucifixion that he pulled the disciples aside and had some of his last words to them. But some of his first words in ministry is on something that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to jump back there. That's Matthew chapter 7. And I'm looking at verses 13 through 23. And there's three different things that he tells people to kind of illustrate this point right off the bat. First of all is a section of scripture that we call the narrow gate and the wide, the wide path. The wide road is, it, it, uh, is traveled by many, but narrow is the road that is difficult and only a few find it that leads to eternal life. And then the next section of scripture is the tree and its fruit. And he says, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And then the next part that he goes into in this Sermon on the Mount is talking about who are his true disciples. I'm actually going to read verses 21 through 23 here because I think it really illustrates the point of what Jesus spends his whole ministry on earth trying to get across to us. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. And I got to tell you the truth, that is harsh, harsh stuff. And I always thought that. I remember when I first became a Christian and I was reading through the scriptures and that first time I read that, and the first time I read Matthew 25, what we're talking about this morning, that stuff's scary, scary stuff. We focus a lot about grace and how Jesus will forgive us and we just go to him and say I'm sorry and and all these things. And later on in, in this message today, I'm going to talk about this pendulum that swings back and forth. You know, over here, it's extreme grace. Over here, it's extreme legalism. And that pendulum swings. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is this, that we need to adopt a clear understanding of what God expects. When we bless the least of these, we bless Jesus When we give food to the hungry, we're feeding the soul of Jesus. When we provide clean water to the thirsty, we satisfy the desire of Jesus. When we give a coat to a person who is cold, we're warming the heart of Jesus. When we invite a stranger in, we extend a welcome to Jesus also. And when we invite and care for the sick, we bring healing to the body of Christ. For about 10 years now, we've had this goal in outreach and missions, and that's been that we would bring peace to those around us both near and far. And peace, when I say that, is actually an acronym, and it stands, P-E-A-C-E stands for this, promote reconciliation between the lost and their creator. 
Equip servant leaders and fight injustice. Assist the poor, the broken, and the vulnerable. Care for the sick, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. And educate children, raise up the next generation. So promote reconciliation, equip servant leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, educate the next generation. And the reason we do that is because in this generation, the biggest problems that our generation faces are spiritual emptiness and injustice, corruption, uh, extreme poverty, pandemic disease, and illiteracy and a lack of education. And this strategic approach here, it's scriptural. We find all throughout the scriptures that these are the type of things that Jesus wants his church to do. It's that cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It's that coat to the person who needs it. It's that meal. It's looking after the, the least, the last, and the lost and reaching out to them. Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. Now, as the outreach pastor, I have the honor to help people who are desperate and who are seeking help, those who are outside of our church. And one, one of the ways that we do that is through something called benevolence. And every Christmas Eve, we have an offering, and all the money that comes in in that offering on Christmas Eve goes to what we call a benevolence fund. And that benevolence fund gets us through the entire next year. And basically, when people are in desperate financial need, we're able to offer some assistance. Now, we're not a social agency, so we don't have unlimited resources, but we want to help in some small way at least. So I get to, I get to meet a lot of people that come in off the street or come in uh, outside of our church and ask for assistance. And if I can be open and vulnerable to you, I'm a human being. So sometimes I'm a, I'm a little cynical to people's stories. Sometimes I feel like I'm probably a little bit too judgmental. All for the right reasons, I guarantee you. I want to be a good steward of that fund. I want to make sure that I'm doing right. But at the same time, I have this little voice in my head. Do I see Jesus in this person? Do I feel the compassion and the love of Christ? And whenever you start reaching out and embracing and and meeting and touching the least, the last, and the lost of our time, things start to get messy. I can guarantee you that. Nothing's clean cut and, and easy. Nothing's black and white. So we get, we get involved in this and, and it, it starts to get difficult. For example, let me ask you, can we see Jesus in the mentally disturbed? Can we see Jesus in the eyes of the drug addict or in the dirty? Can we see Jesus in a prisoner, a criminal Or how about those who wage war against us? Can we see Jesus in our enemies, the people who hate us most? It's tough. This is all very difficult stuff. But when we can see them as Jesus, then we serve as unto Jesus. And that's the key. And if you've been there and if you've been doing that in your life, then you understand what I'm saying because it is a little bit difficult to express but it's like this little perspective switch inside of us that gets switched because no longer am I serving this person or this kind of person or my enemy or whatever it may be. No, I am serving Jesus. And that makes a lot of difference up here. It makes a lot of difference in here. This doesn't contradict 
seeking justice when justice needs to be sought after or enforcing the law. This doesn't contradict that at all. We can't be enablers. We have to, to care for people in the way that is healthy to them. Absolutely. But it's a mindset. It starts there. It's a heart set. I'm going to paint a picture of the early church. Because like I said, Jesus has, he starts his ministry off talking about this kind of stuff. He, he pulls his disciples away just days before he's arrested and then crucified. And of course the resurrection happens, then he ascends into heaven, and then all the believers get together. They start praying. They're hiding, they're praying, and then the Holy Spirit comes and powers them. They go out, they take their faith out into the streets, and they begin ministering. And then the church starts to get built. So in Acts chapter 2, there's a section here where the new believers form, start to form this community. It's a radical community. They're committed to teaching, to fellowship, to communion and prayer. And get this, they shared everything that they had. Everything. They sold their property, they sold their possessions, and they shared with those in need. I mean, this is radical stuff. They were marked by their great joy and generosity. What, what an honor it would be to be alive during that time. Scary, for sure. But how awesome was that? And then, just a couple chapters later in Acts, we see that as time passes on a little bit, humanity gets in the way again and starts to mess things up. Because this church who just saw Jesus crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit who came and did miraculous things, and they're taking, they're, they're taking the message, the gospel, the good news, out into the streets, and thousands each day are being added to the church. All these great things are happening. And then just a little while later, humanity gets in the way. And they start in their sharing of everything with each other. They start neglecting the poor and the vulnerable and the widow. And humanity starts creeping back in. So in Acts chapter 6, those less desired, the poor and the vulnerable, they're being left out or treated unfairly. So the leadership comes together and they choose seven overseers to manage these caring programs so that these people would have food and resources and that they would be looked after. So even the DNA of the early church included exactly what we're talking about here today and what Jesus had shared with his disciples right before he was arrested and crucified, some of his last words to them. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. The second thing I want to draw from this text today is this, recognize and repent of misunderstanding and opportunity. Here's what I mean by that. Periodically, we need to take inventory of our lives. I'm, I'm definitely huge into us doing some introspect once in a while, where we take our intentions, we take our actions, and we put them under a microscope, and then we evaluate how we're living. We have to be willing not only to recognize our sin, our failure, our misunderstanding, but also repent, which means to turn away from, to change from these things that we've done wrong or these 
humanity things that creeps back into our life. Maybe today this scripture is going to cause us to reevaluate. Maybe today this scripture is going to cause us to recognize and change how we live out our faith. The people who were on the left of Jesus, these goats, they misunderstood the criteria that they were judged for because here's how they replied. When did we fail you? They didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, we failed you. They said, when? When did we fail you? And Jesus said to them, when you refused, when you refused, when you refused to help the least of these, you refused to help me. What is it that makes it easy for us good Christians to sometimes forget or misunderstand God's criteria? Maybe it's evangelism explosion. That's this teaching out there that all you need is faith and not works. It's all by faith. It's all about what you believe. Proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Lord, and that's all you need. That's it. Just say it and believe it. Doesn't matter what you do because works don't mean anything. Again, that's that pendulum. Or maybe, maybe we fall victim to this criteria misunderstanding because we think about God's grace, his amazing grace. We sang about it this morning. But in doing so, sometimes we remove the responsibility that comes along with grace because it's not a cheap grace. This grace is worth so much. The precious blood of Jesus, that's what this grace is. And Jesus says there's a responsibility that comes with this grace. When we take that responsibility away, we're misunderstanding God's criteria of how we're supposed to live out our faith. Or maybe it's the longer that we follow Christ and we begin to live morally, it changes how we live morally, and we start to look at things through God's eyes and we see his laws and his commands these attitudes of entitlement creep in or even pharisaical behavior creeps in and that tendency is in all of us you me it just happens over time it's humanity coming back in or something that i call inward drift which is just that it's a drift inward not in a good way it's self-centeredness so we become self-centered christians when we do this as a church it's so dangerous when we start, stop losing our focus for those outside the church and we just focus on us, that's misunderstanding the criteria that God has for how we live out our faith. And you know that this is starting to happen when these attitudes creep in or develop over time regarding the least, regarding the last. And this happened in the early church, remember? Just... A little while after all these amazing things, these attitudes started creeping in even with them. So of course it's gonna creep in to us. It's not my problem. They deserve what they have. I have to worry about me. We have to protect our own interests first. We have to look after ourselves first. That's some of the attitudes that creep in. I wanna share something personal about me about 10 years ago. It's at this time in my life where there was this roller coaster up and down. 
And God spoke to me and he showed me the way that I was living at that point. I thought I had compassion for people. I thought I cared about people. I loved Jesus. But I was at a conference one day. Somebody said something that was a light bulb going off. And I realized, yeah, maybe I said that I cared about the least, the last, and the lost. Maybe in my heart I cared about them, but I wasn't living it out. I, weren't, I wasn't putting my hands to work to reach those people. My faith was egocentric instead of others-centric. So I recognized this. With God's leading, I, I repented. I mean, I changed. I made a commitment to change my lifestyle so that I could begin to live right and sustain this new perspective of others-centric faith. And it, it was a very real sense that I heard these words from Jesus jump out of Scripture and grab me. When you refuse to help the least of these, you refuse to help me. So about that time, I talked to the leadership at the church, and I said, can I do outreach, because nobody is overseeing outreach. And that's how it all got started, was one, a, a moment that God grabbed my attention. And maybe for some of us here today, that moment is now. And who knows what the future holds. Again, it's not that we Christians who at times get egocentric, are evil. Many times it's just that we're wrong. And this idea is, is so central to Jesus' teaching and his active ministry on earth. He didn't just preach this. He lived it. He modeled it first. He told us that if we're to follow him, then we have to live as he had lived. It was vitally important to him to associate himself with the least he healed the sick. He cared for the poor. He touched the untouchable. He touched the shameful, the outcast. So obviously, this was a huge deal for Jesus. In fact, it's a deal breaker to him. Jesus, he reserves his harshest warning for those who refuse to extend compassion to the least of these. He said, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So what do we do with this? We talked about the righteous. We talked about those who misunderstood. I want my third point this morning to be this. Seize opportunities to put your faith into action. Seize opportunities to express your faith in a tangible way. How much do we care about Jesus? Maybe we've answered it like I pray to him, I sing to him, I cry out to him when I'm in trouble. I ask him for forgiveness. I go to church, I go to small group. I even wrote a couple songs about Jesus on my guitar. For some of us, it could be years or even decades that we've comforted ourselves with this idea that these are the things that God will measure us by, by what we believe, by what we know. Or worse yet, maybe we'll think that that day of reckoning, we don't have to be subject to being measured. But that's not what God wants 
That's not what Jesus wanted his disciples to think. He wanted them to understand that if they loved him and loved what he had done for them, that they would respond to him by loving the very people that he came to reach. And so it has to be for all of us. It has to be our faith put into action. This is a concept that we talk a lot about here. Because in Western Christianity, like I said, the pendulum is always swinging one side to the other side and then back again. One side you got faith, it's all about what a person believes and the other side it's, a, it's all about what a person does. You got some, some organizations or churches or groups of people that think it's only about what you believe. Works don't count for nothing. And then the other side you got organizations or groups of people that believe it's all about what you do. All about it. If you don't do enough, if you don't do more good than bad, you're gonna be in trouble. One side of the pendulum, it's all about grace to a fault because we take away, we cheapen it. The other side, it's all about legalism. It's all about the law. There is no grace. There is no redemption from Christ. But the pendulum needs to find its balance. It needs to find its center. It's both and, not either or. There's good people out there in the world doing some great things to change this world. But sadly, They don't have a relationship with Christ. So I'm sorry to say, but they're missing the mark. And there's some great people out there that love Jesus, that live morally upright lives, that believe that he's the son of God, but they're not doing squat for his kingdom. And I'm sad to say this also, that those people are missing the mark. And I know it happens to all of us. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the long haul, the big picture here for our lives. How are we going to be marked that one day? Because we love Jesus most when we love the most vulnerable among us, not by giving him lip service. We talk about this a lot in our house. It's not what you say, it's what you do. You can, it's easy to say, I love you but you gotta show it, right? You gotta live it out. John 13, 35 says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. There will be a time that God will separate the sheep from the goats based on their faith in action. Faith without works is dead. Faith isn't real without results. So I have to ask us all today, myself so included, what is going to be the result of our faith? We care about this so much as a church. At Riverside, we we try to create opportunities as modeled by the early church so that this body can put our faith into action on a regular basis. It's important It's vital to the church that these opportunities exist. This year, we've had the privilege to see our body put our faith into action more than ever before. So at some level, we all get it as a church. I know we do. It's not about the leadership. It's about the people. It's about the body, and the body is out there doing something in Jesus' name. Some examples, Serve the Berg this year. We had over 500 volunteers from our church serving in 15 communities, food collections. A couple times a year, this, this latest food collection, we brought in over 300 bags of groceries, 
in order to replenish the local food banks. We collect clothes. We collect toiletries. We collect supplies for the homeless at the Washington Mission. We have a group that gets together and knits uh, hats and gloves and things for those in the cold, cold weather. We have monthly meals at the Verona United Methodist Church that we help oversee. As Trish was sharing about earlier, we had 22 volunteers serving 130 people this past week. Every year we do a Coins for Kids drive where we collect our spare change and that money is given to, uh, in the form of aid to orphans and vulnerable children over in Southeast Asia. We, we give to the different ministries of the church, the adults, the kids, the students. We extend our reach out into our communities, out into the world. This morning we have this one day to feed the world offering that we're going to be taking, another opportunity for us to reach out. And if you've done one of those things this year, great job. But this isn't about doing something once a year. And something like this can be very overwhelming because 2006, when that switch in my life got flipped that I was telling you about a little bit earlier, the first thing that happened to me was I was overwhelmed. Start looking at statistics and billions of people this, billions of people that, billions. I'm one person. What can I do for billions of people across the world? I came up with this concept of one life that I, my one life was going to change one other person's life. And then whenever I change that person's life, I'm going to significantly make an impact in this person's life and so on and so forth. I'm going to spend the rest of my life impacting one life at a time. Whoa. That scared me. So what I'm trying to say is that while we do good things, we have opportunities to get involved. One day when you're standing before God and he says, what have you done? Well, in 2015, I did serve the Berg. 2014, I think I did two things. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be this lifestyle of faith in action. That's what I'm getting to. It's a mindset. It's a heart set. It's always an action. This morning, like I said, we have another opportunity, and that's one day to feed the world. We're going to take an offering in a little bit, and that's just another way that we can partner with the organization and make a difference. Rather than say it while we're in between singing songs, I just want to talk about it for just a moment right now. And that's this opportunity that we have not to give to Convoy of Hope, but to give through Convoy of Hope because they're conduit for our compassion. When you give in this offering, your money's going to go to feeding programs. Convoy of Hope also does disaster services and agricultural development, women's empowerment, and they reach out into impoverished U.S. rural regions and the urban community through outreach events. They empower like-minded organizations by providing food, water, supplies, much more. But their feeding program, they have over 100,000 kids every day at school that receive meals. And for many of these kids, that's the only food that they get. They go home, they don't eat meals at home. Or maybe they'll just eat a bowl of rice for the weekend. I mean, so different than what we know. So you got 102,484 kids that are in the Convoy of Hope school feeding, children, or feeding program. Another 40,000 or so kids from 10 different countries enrolled in their feeding initiative. 
You got a little sticker that's on every other seat, so if you don't have one and you want one, there's still, I see some laying around. But it says, I gave one day. And this sticker isn't for you to put on right now. The point of this sticker is that sometime this week, you're going to declare that the day that you, the money that you get from that day is the money that you put in the envelope today, okay? So it's one day. One day's wages is going to go and feed kids in a, somewhere where they need it. Most likely in a, in a different country, third world country. So you put the sticker on and you realize that no matter how mundane or frustrating your job may be, today, my job is about feeding children that need it so desperately. And today, everything that I do is going to be a compassionate act of worship and offering to Jesus. Thanksgiving's this week, right? Always causes us to think about what we're thankful for, what we're grateful for. And there are so many things. We are so blessed. Can anybody argue with me on that? We are so blessed. This week when we sit around and we eat turkey or ham or whatever it is that you like to eat. For me, it's cranberry sauce. I love it. When we sit around and we eat that food and we have time with our family and we ponder about the things we're grateful for, I'm going to plant this little seed that we're also going to think about Matthew 25. That Jesus is calling us to love the people that he loved. And let's keep them in our hearts and let's express that through our hands. I want to invite the band to come on up. And as we prepare our hearts, before we even talk anything else about an offering, because this message today is not about a one-time offering. This message today is about a lifelong perspective. It is about putting our faith into action multiple times. I want us to take a look inside. Let's prepare our hearts. This is a spiritual act of worship. We offer ourselves to God first. I want to invite you to stay in your seats. I want to invite you to reflect on this message, to meditate on this scripture, the scriptures that we've talked about today. I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to ask for forgiveness. Repent if necessary. Ask God to start to change you again and again and again and again. And that's my prayer to do today too. God, I need this message this week. Change me. I need it. As we sing this song together, let it be your commitment to follow God how he wants to be followed. And then after we do this song, I'm going to come up, we're going to talk about the offering. But first, let's offer ourselves. All of me, God, I surrender to you. Would you bow your hearts this morning? Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.